0: Welcome to Mind Love, episode 37. Today's episode is all about losing weight through meditation. If the dieting industry was working, it wouldn't be a billion dollar
1: industry. Dieting is not making us happier at all, and it's actually causing more stress and more cortisol, which causes more fat.
0: Turn up your frequency with Mind Love. Bite-sized brain hacks for seekers, dreamers, and doers. It's time to give your mind a little love with your host, Melissa Monti. First off, Mind Love is now a CastBox original. CastBox is the fastest-growing, highest-rated podcast app on both iOS and Android, where you can get all of your favorite podcasts. It has a super clean layout and you can create playlists and download episodes to play offline. It's my personal favorite and where I listen to all of my podcasts. Don't worry, you can still listen to Mind Love wherever you get your podcasts, but I hope you'll give CastBox a try. Second, don't forget to subscribe on whatever podcast platform you're listening on and leave a review if you can. Reviews really help to entice more amazing guests. Plus, it helps me grow the show, which ultimately helps me give more value to you guys. Food and eating are pretty weighted issues. See what I did there? Which explains why my episodes around this have been some of my top episodes. When it comes to food, we're kind of punched in the face from all sorts of angles. First, 70% of our food is processed. Processed foods are a problem for so many reasons. They're high in sugar, they're low in nutrients, they don't digest very well, they have all sorts of artificial ingredients in them, and they're engineered for overconsumption, meaning they actually have addictive properties in them. Food isn't the only problem, though. There's also pressure from the media, and now even social media, to have this perfect photoshopped body type. As hard as I try not to let this bother me, it just does. That type of exposure gets in your head. And then there's our deep-seated emotional issues from all the crap that most of us have gone through in our lives. And we wonder why food and eating carry so much weight. If we aren't aware, these things can consume us. We've talked about food before, but today's episode is a little different because we're going to get into the research of the results. And this isn't just about body love, even though that's such a critical component. For a long time, I thought recovering from my eating disorder meant that I had to just accept that my body was going to be bigger because I was finally keeping food down. But research shows that mindfulness and meditation can actually help you lose weight much more effectively than dieting. And that's what we're going to learn about today. I'm especially excited for today's interview because this is just a really amazing person that I've looked up to for a while now. Our guest today is Sarah Ann Stewart. She's a certified holistic health practitioner with a focus on permanent weight loss. So today, three key things you will learn are why obesity is still rising, even though we have more nutritional information than ever, the importance of subconscious reprogramming, and the effects mindfulness and meditation have on the physical body. Before we dive in, I want to invite you to sign up for the Morning Mind Love. You'll get short daily reminders of your own beauty, worth, and power, so you can start each day with a positive mindset and keep your vibes up between episodes. To sign up, visit mindlove.com and sign up right there on the homepage. You'll get some amazing free gifts when you do. First, you'll get our exclusive Powerless booklet, which is an awesome free booklet based on proven principles from the most successful people and some of our favorite guests. Plus, you'll get a free guided affirmation meditation set at the Miracle Tone, which is known to help attract love, health, and abundance into your life. The layered affirmations perfectly tune your frequency for personal transformation. So be sure to head to mindlove.com to sign up. Or if you're out and about, just text the word MORNING to 33777. That's MORNING to 33777. Now let's
1: welcome Sarah Ann Stewart to the show. Hi, thank you so much for having me. It's such an honor
0: to be Be here today. Let's start with your story. How did you get into the work that you're doing now?
1: Yeah, I would love to share my journey, and a lot of it is really a reflection of the work I do today. So to backtrack to my childhood, I grew up in a really holistic environment, so much so that when my father was diagnosed with the heartbreaking news of terminal cancer, he decided to not use Western medicine and to fight back with alternative medicine. And within seven months of going on a vegan diet and using supplements and doing some treatments out of Germany, his cancer was completely gone. I remember at the very same time I was being scouted to model. And after working in the fashion industry for 10 years, I ended up developing a series of eating disorders. And so I had this very like different view on food. On one hand, I was really, really seeing how food could heal the body and how it could impact the body. And on the other hand, for me, I was seeing how food could be detrimental and almost cost me my life. And so there was a lot of guilt and shame around the fact that I grew up in this holistic environment, and yet I was using food to control and to basically use it as a way to make money. And so after almost dying, after being told by a doctor, you're going to lose your life, I decided to leave the fashion industry and go back and study nutrition The problem with that was as I began to dive into this nutrition knowledge, my anxiety and fears around food didn't go away. So the more nutrition information I got, the anxiety actually got worse. And what I learned throughout this process is that the reprogramming of subconscious patterns around food can't be healed through more nutrition information. It has to be healed through meditation and mindfulness and reprogramming subconscious thoughts and really looking with where those patterns were coming from to begin with. And so I decided to shift my model of my coaching practice from nutrition-based to meditation and mindfulness-based, and it's been incredible to see the results from my clients, and then also my own healing and the ability to let go of my eating disorder once and for all. So it's been a long journey, but so
0: happy to be doing the work I do today. You had the holistic background that I wished I had in my childhood, but what's interesting is that both of us still ended up with eating disorders and fathers with cancer. So it's easy to think, what if this had been different? Or if only this had been different, then I would have been different. But obviously, that is not always the case. And I can also relate to over-educating myself on nutrition. It was like I took my obsessions around food and just moved them around a little bit, put them in new little boxes. I mean, I'm all about educating myself, but the feelings of anxiety and guilt didn't go away until I changed my relationship with food. And that only happened once I changed my relationship with myself through self-love and facing the root of the problem.
1: Yeah, it's such a powerful place to get to where you recognize that the food is just one piece of the big puzzle. And we start with food and nutrition. And a lot of people, there's a quote that says, if you're lost, start with nutrition. And I'm kind of debunking that in like, start with mindfulness, start with meditation, start with yourself. because. We can look at so many different protocols, so many different people. There's hundreds of coaches that are doing amazing work. But if we believe that their protocol is going to work for us and then it doesn't, there's more shame and guilt in that than actually just looking within, figuring out what it is that works best for you, intuitive listening, intuitive eating and mindfulness. And that process is done best when we start with that versus the other route.
0: When I first started to face my eating disorder and really commit to making the change, the way I thought self-love needed to come in was to learn to love my body even though I'm going to be bigger. That has to happen, right? I'm throwing up all my food right now, so if I keep it in, that's all these extra calories. As a side note, this was not the case. It actually became easier to regulate my weight once I was finally allowing nutrients to actually absorb into my body. And in your programs, it's not just about loving your body no matter the size. You've actually helped a lot of people lose weight and give up dieting for good. So is meditation really your secret? (laughs) Well, I consider meditation one of the best health
1: and wellness hacks of all time. But I really feel like for weight loss specifically, it is one of the most powerful things you can do and you can do right now. So a lot of people wonder how sitting – can actually burn calories, right? Well, I'm not doing anything, so how is this gonna help me lose weight? Well, the the interesting thing is that now we're seeing how meditation actually impacts the physical body, so it impacts chronic pain, heart health, hormones, immunity, decreases inflammation, gene expression, all the things that we want to improve in our physical body. So that's the first part. The second part is that neuroscientists are seeing how meditation and mindfulness actually rewires different parts of the brain and specifically for weight loss. So it impacts our current habits, our thoughts, our beliefs, feelings. And so for example, when we improve our loneliness, right? When we when we go home and we're lonely, sometimes we eat, but when we become more hopeful, those sort of triggers and cravings aren't going to happen as often. Um, meditation promotes happiness and improves our mood. It decreases anxiety and depression, which are huge reasons why we emotionally eat. Meditation is Really powerful at improving addiction and our own self love and self compassion, and even our sleep. When, when we sleep better, our metabolism goes up, and when we decrease stress, you know, it impacts our cortisol levels, we can burn fat. And so, all of these things really do impact our weight in the long run. It's not something where you're going to see instantaneous results where you're going to sit down, you know, tomorrow and meditate and you're going to start dropping weight. But in the long run, if you really have a lifestyle goal or a lifelong goal of having a really happy, healthy life that you can maintain. I personally think meditation and mindfulness is the one of the best, best things you can do. And when I speak on mindfulness, just being mindful of what are you eating? How are you eating? What's around you? Are you Do you have a computer in front of you, a TV, your phone next to you? Are you taking deep breaths before you meal? Are you blessing your food? Are you being grateful? All of those things make such a huge difference in terms of you know how fast we eat, if our body's digesting the food, what nourishment we're getting. I could speak for hours
0: on this topic. So. <laughs> so can I. Almost everyone I know has experienced body shame in one way or another, especially women. I think my body issues started after some kid called me fat when I was 12, and I was technically underweight at that age. So That kid can go kick rocks, but in the modeling industry, it's part of your job to have people critiquing your body. We've all heard the stories. We've even talked about this in episode 25, but it's still just hard to even imagine what that would be like if you haven't gone through it. So after going through all that and hearing these things about your body from other people and then beating yourself up for so long, how did you start to find self-love?
1: Yeah, that's such a great, beautiful question. I, when I left the modeling industry that I had so much guilt and shame around what I had put my body through for so many years. And we're talking every eating disorder, you know, I would take a bottle of laxatives every single day for a time period. It was really, really damaging. And I had to really find a place where I was like, okay, I have to find my my way back to self-love. And self-love looks very different for everyone. And I think we're really in a time where self-love is being questioned. What does that look like? And for me, there were two parts. One part, my coach said to me, you have to unlearn all these ways that you were taught to suffer. So all the ways where you look in the mirror and that's your self-worth and you're defining your self-worth with that. You're defining your career on that. You're defining what income you get from this. And so I had to step back and say, what other things can I do in my life that will create impact and positive impact? and, And what does that look like? And how can I change the direction of my life? And the second part was redefining what I did to my body on a daily basis. So I literally would sit down and write letters to myself of, I'm so sorry, body, that I did these things to you, that I put you through all this pain and this hardship. Forgive me for this. You've carried me through my life and I want you to continue to carry me through the rest of my life in a way that's healthy and supported. And just having that dialogue with myself and reconnecting through meditation and recognizing that self-love is not drinking diet soda and eating pizza every night. There's balance, of course, but it's not a place of what I was doing and binge eating and and doing these things and saying that's self-love and I love myself so I can do whatever I want. I personally have found that that's not self-love. Self-love is this idea where for me and what I found is I love myself exactly as I am. I can love my body today, but yet I still want to grow. I still want to create a better life for myself. I still want to get stronger. I still want to make sure that I'm not damaging my microbiome and my gut and inflammation and acidity and all these things that basically cause chronic sickness down the road. I actually want to take care of myself and taking care of yourself looks like eating clean, movement, community, friendship, family, love, connection, joy, creativity, all of those things from what I've learned and what I feel internally, that's a place of self-love. And so that was the road I went down was how do I crowd in and add in all the really beautiful things back into my life so that I'm not depriving myself or my body.
0: One of my past guests, I believe it was Cole Witte in episode 27. She said that with everything you consume, whether it's food or even media, you should ask yourself, will this cleanse me or clog me? It's just such an easy little reminder. And you don't have to be perfect 100% of the time, but use the 80-20 rule. At least 80% of what you choose for your life should be cleansing. Because if you choose too many things that are clogging, you lose control. And then we wonder why we're stagnant or stuck. I believe the same thing. I believe that there's a
1: very beautiful space for balance, of course, and harmony. And just understanding what that balance is for you. Like, I know personally, gluten and dairy do not sit well with me. Am I willing to take the pain of that the next morning? Sometimes, yes, for my birthday or a cake or something like that. But most of the time, I know the damage that's going to do to my body. And I'm just not willing to do that to myself anymore because for me, that's a place of self sabotage where I'm like, I don't feel well the next day. And so, I think looking at how do I keep the energetics of my body as high as possible all the time and vibrationally in a place that just feels really good because when we feel good, the people around us feel good, we create more, we vibrationally attract better things to our lives. It's very cyclical and that energy isn't created or destroyed. So whatever we're vibrating really, really comes back to us.
0: Let's talk about where subconscious reprogramming comes in because it's a big part of your practice. Why is this so important? subconscious reprogramming is basically this idea that,
1: you know, scientists and specialists now say that, and they have for a while, but that the subconscious is 95% of our life choices, basically, that our conscious mind, even if we want to make a good decision, let's say you're coming home from work, and you want to reach for the greens in your fridge that your health coach brought over your subconscious mind Is basically impacting your decisions. So, are you actually going to stop at fast food on the way home? And then we feel guilt and shame because we don't feel like we're in control. And the subconscious mind has been programmed based on childhood, our society, social conditioning, media outlets. Um, We've been really taught how to feel and think. And it's so interesting that we really have to look at. Okay, this idea of, for example, trendy is trustworthy, right? What is the next celebrity doing? What are we seeing on the front of a magazine? Oh, they're doing it, so it must work for me. And so that's just one idea of this idea of like being programmed, right? That there's instantaneous results and we can lose 10 pounds in seven days, and that because Kim Kardashian did it, we can do it. And that idea, those ideas that have been programmed in us really dictate our decisions. And so, when they don't work, we feel worse. And so I just love to think of this idea of like, let's reprogram our subconscious in a way that we want to live and the behavior patterns that we want to thrive on. And so we look at, you know, in my coaching practice through meditation, we look at all different ways to do that. And that could be through forgiveness letters, affirmations, recording your own voice and playing it back to yourself. There's lots of different ways to do it, but I think it is something that is so overlooked and something that we all need to consider if we want to make the right decisions in the moment that are going to impact us based on what we truly want, you know, not what social conditioning is telling us to want.
0: Reprogramming your subconscious or undoing all the limiting beliefs and little neural loops that we've created through our lifetime so far is so hard. Okay, over the last five years, I've moved from my 20s to my 30s. And there's a lot of lifestyle changes that happen during this time, at least for me. For example, like, wow, partying this hard all the time probably isn't good. And oh, so what I've been doing is actually called binge drinking. Okay, this isn't healthy or sustainable. And it's definitely been this slow process because for the longest time, not going for that third glass of wine was considered abnormal. (laughs) So in May, I took 30 days off from drinking. But during that time, I realized I had more sweets, specifically vegan chocolate. Like I felt like I deserved a reward or something. But now I'm in the habit of awareness, and it's really uncomfortable because the ways I used to manipulate myself or justify things don't work very well anymore. So I have to face all of my numbing behaviors.
1: Yes. Yeah. It's kind of like once you peel back the layers, the truth is there, and that's why people are scared of journaling. That's why people are scared of meditation, because you are actually going to have to confront the demons, the thoughts, the patterns that aren't serving you. You're going to have to dive in deep and really say, this is who I am. And I'm willing to change that for my future. And I'm willing to change that in the present. And it is not easy. It is really hard and really challenging. I know from a personal story of, of recently, I, for a long time blamed the modeling industry for all of my eating disorders, right? I was very much like The minute that I got in the industry, I was triggered and told not to eat X, Y, and Z. And I had to lose weight and I had to stop working out. And this is all true. But through working with my own coach, my own coach and I recognized that I wouldn't have even chosen that industry. I would have chosen a different industry if I wasn't seeking out love and I wasn't seeking out acceptance and I wasn't seeking out certain things that the industry was giving me in a very like not healthy way. And so where was that coming from? Well, that was coming from my childhood. What part of my childhood, the childhood that I grew up with, the childhood with my mom, the childhood with the way I was raised. And so having to go back even further, right, and say, this was my story. This is how how I felt loved. And I'm willing to dive into that and see it and forgive it and hold compassion for it and understanding and recognize it so that I don't do that with my future children and that that was hard and that is hard and and so under that i'm sure there's more that i'm not even seeing but you know i'll get to that probably in a year from now or maybe 6 months and so i think it's always a journey i don't think we're ever going to stop learning that one thing triggered us or one story or one conversation happen that is impacting our decisions. I think it's a lifelong process of unraveling. And I think there's beauty in that, in just understanding that it's a journey. And every day we have the opportunity to become more aware and more conscious and make better decisions. And instead of holding guilt and shame around the decisions we made, hold them in light and love and understanding.
0: Yes. And also, I remember when I first started to make all these life changes. It's like this veil had been lifted, and I suddenly saw my life and realized, oh my God, there's so much to fix. But then I had to take a step back and think, okay, well, one thing at a time. Because we can always get better. It's not like we're going to finally fix everything and think, okay, I've made it look at me, I'm totally perfect now. Chances are, if you're the kind of person that's working on yourself now, you always will be. You're not a complacent person who just lets life happen to you. You'll always be able to find things to work on. And that's amazing. And then you even have the next generation to pass down what you've learned. It's it's the purpose of life. It's a beautiful thing rather than a frustrating thing.
1: Exactly. And just recognizing that you're not alone in this process. We're all doing this whether you're consciously aware or not we're all in the place of like wow I could be better wow I feel frustrated wow I'm I'm struggling I think it's just a human nature to feel this way and feel the guilt and shame around that and how do you look at your life and say I'm perfectly perfect exactly as I am I'm beautiful exactly as I am but yet I still want to create a new level of awareness and consciousness and understanding because it supports the collective it supports the planet, it supports who I am. And, and there's no reason to feel shame around that.
0: You're right. And we should never feel shame about anything, everything that we've gone through, everything that we've done, even if it's something that we would never do again, is what's made us who we are today. It's brought us to this point. And shame is what makes us keep these stories to ourselves instead of teaching other people what we've learned along the way. It's wasting a life lesson. One of the reasons I'm so committed to sharing my story is that it wasn't until I started to hear other people's stories that I really started to make progress and feel less alone. And same with you. You've been through the shit, so it makes you especially qualified to help drag people out of theirs. So who helped you? Who have some of your greatest teachers been?
1: Yeah, it's so incredible. My father was a public speaker and he taught a lot about psychology and the reprogramming of subconscious patterns when I was growing up. And as a child, I would listen to like Deepak Chopra actual cassette tapes and Wayne Dyer cassette tapes and Carolyn Miss and all of the Hay House authors. But Shandresh from Break the Norms was my greatest teacher. And I always say, if you can find one mentor that believes in you unconditionally, where it doesn't matter what mistakes you make, there is no guilt or shame going to that person and saying this is who I am and this is where I am and for Me he was that he was this person who came in my life when I was broken at the very bottom I had no clue what I was doing with my life. I had just gotten out of the modeling industry and really was like I'm completely lost. I've I've damaged my body. I am out of Touch with my family because of the guilt and shame I can't go back to this group of friends because it's just unhealthy and I had to leave and he was the one person that stood by my side and said, someday your life will be different. And I think if you can do that for someone and someone can do that for you, it is so powerful in that regard. And he just started coaching me on everything from relationships to my career, to my own personal self-worth. And for me, that really
0: impacted who I am today. Listeners, if you're wondering how people end up with these amazing mentors, like, oh, my mentor is the Dalai Lama. How about you? We'll get into that right after we learn about the amazing companies that made today's episode possible. And if this is your first time giving your mind a little love, I have a few goodies for you. First, don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And second, sign up for the Morning Mind Love. Think of it like a weekday oracle from your highest self to help you start each day with a positive focus. Plus, you'll get two gifts absolutely free, a 30-minute binaural meditation, and 30 days of journaling prompts to help you remember who you truly are. So join over 9,000 people and go to mindlove.com to sign up or text the word MORNING to 33777. Do you love story-driven podcasts? I do. And there's a brand new one that I think you're going to love. It's called You Probably Think This Story's About You. The story just grabs you from the start. It all starts with Brittany, who thinks she's found her soulmate, only to find out things aren't as they seem. So she goes on a mission to find out the truth. And as she digs deeper, she realizes the guy's a master of deception. But here's the thing. As Britney unravels his lies, she ends up on this journey of self-discovery. She starts to see how her own complicated past with addiction, sisterhood and deep family bonds all have shaped her. And that's when it hits you. This story isn't really about him at all. It's about Britney finding herself and learning who she really is. Trust me, you'll be hooked from episode one, wondering where Britney's path will lead her next. It's a story that'll make you look at your own life and relationships in a whole new way. Seriously, grab your headphones and start from episode one of You Probably Think This Story's About You. You'll laugh, you'll cry, and you'll come out feeling heard and stronger. Listen and follow You Probably Think This Story's About You wherever you listen to podcasts. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I need to get something off my chest. Sometimes I wake up feeling like I hate everything, like this dark cloud is over my day, and I look to the past and the future and everything feels tainted, like this is how it's always been. Those type of days used to last months, and now they're pretty few and far between, and they rarely last more than a few hours, but it can still make me feel like a fraud. I'm sharing this because I know that we all carry around these things that make us feel different or less than, but if we keep them bottled up, the shame spirals and creates more problems than that initial thought. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. For me, just talking things through is hugely helpful, but it's difficult finding friends or family that are unbiased or nonjudgmental. Therapy isn't just about dealing with major trauma, you know. It's about learning healthy coping mechanisms, setting boundaries, becoming the best version of you. BetterHelp makes it super convenient, too. Everything's done online, so you can fit therapy sessions around your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash MindLove today and get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, hel pcom slash MindLove. Some reason I keep hearing people ask, how to even get a mentor? So I feel compelled to ask you, how did this person find you and take you under his wing?
1: Yeah, it's such a beautiful story. I was I stumbled into this conference in New York City, and he had happened to have a booth there, and I just saw this picture of this man very stressed in a suit meditating. And it was kind of like I was just drawn to it because I was like You could tell this man was like Wall Street, really stressed from New York, but then he was like floating meditating. And it was kind of this logo that they had. And I was like, this is what I need. I need to be meditating. I'm so stressed right now. And Chandresh was standing there. And then I went to his meditation and I just fell in love with the way that he approaches life. And he has a book called Break the Norms that I highly recommend everyone reading. It's been really profound for a lot of my clients as well. And so that developed just from I think divine synchronicity. And I think when you're really ready, the teacher will appear. We hear this a lot, right? We hear that when you're ready, the teacher appears. And I believe that. I believe there's truth in that. And I don't believe your teacher will always stay the same. I believe as you grow, your teacher will change. New teachers will come into your life and really impact your development.
0: Circling back to nutrition, it's interesting to look at the progress over the last few decades. For example, Looking back at the 90s, the 90s were so bad for nutrition, we all just thought as long as it had a low-fat label on it, it was healthy, (laughs) and most 90s kids were literally raised on corn and sugar. But now, with access to the internet and, I guess, just general progress, we have more information about nutrition than we've ever had. But the rates of obesity and chronic sickness are both still rising. So why do you think that is, and can meditation help?
1: Yeah, it's really, really sad. It, it blows my mind that we can put in in Google, you know, what's healthy, and we have millions of results. But yet, statistically, a third of our population is obese. Two hundred and ten billion dollars per year are being spent on medical costs, and the really sad part is thirty million individuals statistically, I think it's going up, but have severe eating disorders. And so I personally believe the reason for this is that when we look at scientifically the research behind dieting, dieting actually causes more anxiety, irritability, lower self-esteem, exhaustion, stress. So all of those things that you're putting on top of dieting builds in the guilt and shame and creates the sickle of process, right? If the dieting industry was working, it wouldn't be a billion dollar industry. So dieting is not making us happier at all. And it's actually causing more stress and more cortisol, which causes more fat. So I think we have to really look at what is the missing connection and the missing connection. I strongly believe is a couple of things, but the meditation and mindfulness piece, of course, because we need to look within and say, well, what is driving my behaviors? What is behind those behaviors? And why am I not choosing for Clean, healthy food and movement and connection and all the things that really support our health. And secondly, I think uh, there's been some really powerful research around the fast food industry and just what that's doing culturally to our life and our communities. And I think we really need to get back in the gardens, back in the kitchens, back in nature. We need to find the connection to food. We need to know where our food is coming from. We need to go meet the farmers. We need to do all the things that we did for hundreds of years and we've lost. And in that process of really understanding food, like when I take a client to even the farmer's market for the first time, it is so powerful to just see their eyes light up and the energy change and how excited they get to be in that process, right? Of talking to the people where the food is coming from. And I think that that's something that we all need to do more of. And I think that that will really help solve this problem for sure.
0: This was the game changer for me when I finally began to heal my eating disorder. Just understanding my food and where it came from and how it works within my body. My relationship to food changed when this happened. People often wonder how somebody can live like that for so long. And to be honest, I always wanted to heal. It started as a really messed up eating hack, I suppose. But... After a while, I didn't believe that I could stop and still have the body I want. Side note, you can, and I currently do, but at the time I really thought it was one or the other. But sometimes, a lot of times, it would be so unbearable. It would make me feel so miserable and helpless and lonely that I would wholeheartedly resolve to stop. These days that I would make this decision always started out super healthy yoga, light, healthy meals, and I'd usually be extra productive as well, like cleaning my house, getting stuff done, everything would be going great. But then usually towards the end of the day, maybe at dinner, I'd feel deserving and I'd have a bite of dessert and suddenly be so triggered that it's all I could think about or even just one bite too many of my actual meal and feel that fullness in my stomach. And I just couldn't handle it. And after that one bite, I would just know I wasn't going to keep it down. But then I started reading and learning about how food works within the body and what gives it energy and how our metabolisms work. And I finally stopped restricting calories and started to feel really good about what I was putting into my body. For me, that really began when I started transitioning to vegan Because before, what I knew about being healthy was all along the lines of calories and fat. It was how this was going to affect the shape of my body. And that's not what a good relationship with food is. Now I eat to feel as good as I possibly can. What will give me energy? What nutrients do I need to perform at my best? What will help my body absorb all these nutrients to get the most out of each meal? And then as a vegan, I have the added bonus of knowing that I'm doing my part for the environment, that my body isn't trying to break down the flesh of another living thing who was fed who knows what, and had trauma living in its body, and now that trauma lives in mine, and all these things I could talk about for days. But while I am a huge advocate for veganism, and one day I'll dedicate an entire episode to it... The point of this is to encourage all of you who struggle with food issues, which is a lot of us, to go inward and start to ask yourself where this is coming from. When you start to blame yourself and see yourself as weak for not sticking to your diet, try a different approach. Learn about your food. Learn about what really makes you feel good. What do you feel good buying? What do you feel good eating? What do you feel good supporting? What feels good an hour after you eat it? What makes you feel good for the whole day? When I started thinking like this, that's when lasting change really started to happen.
1: You know, the biggest struggle I find with people that are healing eating disorders and <laughs> trying to lose weight is themselves and their thought patterns. And that's what's so sad about this whole work is that when we say, you know, there's no good food or bad food, and there's these different treatment options, but then their mind is still in that process, right, of over and over and over again, I think we really have to go to how do we heal the mind and how do we look at that process of, of intuition and knowing when, when we've had enough and allowing ourselves to have more if we want, get up, have another bite without feeling like that restrictive process. And then understanding that even, even with the best nutritionists, personal trainers, chefs, practitioners, even celebrities. You see this with celebrities still struggle with their weight. They still struggle with eating disorders and they have the top, top, top people. And I think it really comes down to us. It comes down to our minds. It comes down to looking within, figuring out where the patterns are coming from, how to heal those patterns, how to come to a place of self-love for our minds, our bodies, what we're doing every single day, the beautiful life that we get to leave, and then adding in all the really good things. I have found with my clients that the more we add in, that is good. It's not about depriving. It's not about restriction. It's just adding in the good things. The bad things will eventually wean themselves out because they feel so good eating the really, really good things, like the clean foods and all of that, that it just changes the whole chemistry of our bodies and It's just such a beautiful process to see.
0: I agree completely. I'm pretty sure the replacement method is the only reason my husband's vegan. He just made one small change at a time until it added up to where he could really feel the difference in his body and realized he doesn't even feel good when he eats the other stuff. So there was less motivation. So it took about a year-ish total. But after that, he was just fully vegan. That's amazing. My husband as well. Like when we met, he never
1: had a salad. Not once. And I was like, you don't eat greens? Like, what is this? How are we going to date? And then just over time, he's just one little piece of green at a time. And now he's eating huge salads for the entire meal. So it's pretty
0: powerful. So it's interesting because you mentioned celebrities and their top-notch personal trainers. Yes, that would be totally awesome to have all that. But I think there's something to be said for empowering yourself. When you're always looking for someone else to come fix you, to fix your weight, to fix your eating, and you're always looking outside yourself, I think a part of you can't help but feel like, I can't do this alone. But if you go inward, then you know that no matter what, this is about me. I can do this. I did this for myself. And I know myself well enough to know what I need. Yeah,
1: exactly. It's so powerful and so exciting when you start to see these other just models for healing, right? And these different mindset shifts that that it can be easy and it doesn't have to be so hard and it doesn't have to be so much work and a struggle. And, you know, I think because everything, we feel everything is so hard, right? And everything is moving so fast that we put time limits on ourselves and we say we have to lose X amount of weight by X amount of time or if I don't heal these patterns by X date, I'm a failure. And I always just come back to, this is a lifelong process. I still today have anxiety. I just got my breast implants out. And I can tell you that that month was one of the hardest months of my life. And people, you know, were messaging me, it's your implants, like, what's the challenge, right? And I'm like, I have my identity, my ego, my relationship with my husband, like all of these things are being questioned, because of my implants. And of course, he was very supportive. But those stories were in my head. And this idea of looking at myself in the mirror without my implants, and and having to have that conversation with myself that my worth is not defined by two pieces of plastic that are inside of me. It's defined by my impact and and all the things I do. And it was such, yeah, it was such a hard month. And yet I have all these tools and I meditate. And so I just want to encourage people that it can definitely come back up. It can definitely resurface and that does not make you a failure at all
0: you're now the second guest I've had that's removed their implants for health reasons. So I feel like this needs to be addressed. What compelled you to remove your implants? Yeah, so I originally got implants because
1: my modeling career was kind of coming to an end. And I think that's really important for people to realize is that when they look in a magazine and see a woman with implants or see a certain body type, what that person has done to get to that image, just in terms of even makeup and lighting and so forth, is a process and not normal. And so I chose to get them in. I chose to transition my career into more catalog work. I enjoyed having them in. I liked the way they looked. I'm not going to deny that. They made me feel better about myself. And Two years ago, I started to notice symptoms. A year ago, I started to get really sick. And there's this idea of breast implant illness that hasn't become mainstream until recently where basically your body starts to reject your implants. You can develop a biofilm around your implants. And there are a lot of women, around 50,000 in a group, that are all very, very sick. And when I found that group, I felt such a relief because I was feeling, again, like such a failure because I'm a health coach. I'm a holistic health practitioner. I can't figure out my own sickness. What's going on in my head? Like, how can I be sick? I eat clean, I move. <laughs> and and I recognize that there has to be something else going on and there has to be an answer. And I was so grateful for finding this group. And then it took me eight months of doing all this other testing, making sure that it was the implants because I was so fearful of getting them out to finally have the courage to say, I'm doing this. There's no no more waiting. I just need to feel better. And with, it's been over two months now and all my symptoms are completely gone for the most part so I would just encourage anyone who who has them or thinking about getting them to really do some research on what can happen after the fact.
0: What type of symptoms are typical or
1: are they different for everyone? They can be very different but there's very typical symptoms that can happen so tingling in your hands, pain in your arms, joint pain, pain under your armpits, Uh, heart palpitations, migraines, brain fog, memory loss, losing of hair, like my hair was started to fall out. I chopped off a good 10 inches of my hair, weight gain, bloating, extreme fatigue. I had extreme fatigue. And so the two weeks before my surgery, I had to stop all of my supplements. And this is a really good lesson for anyone listening, because So often we band-aid our problems with other things and I was band-aiding my problem with supplements and I knew what I needed to take to keep my energy going, right? And I recognized that I kept upping my supplements. I kept upping my holistic treatments, whether that was colonics, acupuncture, massage, ozone treatment, glutathione injections. It didn't matter what it was. I just kept upping it. The two weeks before my surgery, I could not even get out of bed. I was so exhausted and fatigued because I had to stop all of those things It doesn't matter what it is, whether it's Advil or coffee or prescription medication. If we're band-aiding the problem, what's underneath there is actually getting worse and not healing. It's not ever healing. We think, oh, we're better. And we go to the doctor and our test results come back okay. It's still being band-aided, right? Like there's still that band-aid over the problem. And so I just encourage anyone who's taking something on a regular basis to really think about what it is that you're covering up in the long run because that was a huge lesson for me that I was like, I'm much sicker than I thought I was.
0: It really goes to show you how important it is to be in touch with yourself because without your background, it would have been so much harder to diagnose a problem like that. So I'm curious, given what you teach in your relationship to meditation, how did meditation help you through the healing process of all of this? Meditation was huge
1: for regulating my nervous system. I think more than anything, I was in a state of anxiety, mostly because I just don't like surgery. I would avoid surgery at all costs if possible. And so I had a lot of anxiety around my surgery. I ended up working with Chandrash. He gave me very specific mantra, healing mantras to use to basically do two times 20 minutes a day. We recorded one in his voice that I could listen to. And every time I got nervous, I would just put that on and it would regulate my nervous system and bring me down into a place of calm. A couple other things I did, which I think are really powerful, was I would do visualization meditations where I saw the surgery center before I went in and I would visualize everything going perfect. I called my anesthesiologist and said, this is how it's going to go. I'm going to start in meditation. I'm going to be doing mantras. You're going to hear me doing mantras. And I was like, this is how it's going to go from start to finish. And I drew pictures of like the room and waking up and being really excited, like a kid, like I literally drew out the pictures and you can use this for anything. You can apply this to anything that you're nervous or scared about. And it's so funny. There was a, I don't know the exact research, but there was a study that was done that basically showed that people who did this had less bleeding and less inflammation and had better results in the long run when they were able to really visualize and draw out how things were going to go because your subconscious mind, again, is Impacting your outcome. And so it's really powerful. Probably sounds woo woo to most people on this call, but it works. <laughs> it worked for me and it definitely helped me get through it.
0: Well, I personally love woo woo. Good, good, good. I'm glad. I love
1: all things woo woo. Tell me anything and I'll try it once. I'm open to all types
0: of new age things. Me too. I just think of it as preferring to be on the front lines of healing. There's so many things that people thought crazy decades ago. And now so much of that's being proven, especially with visualization. Tell me more about the effect that meditation and mindfulness actually has on the physical body.
1: Yeah. So it's really, really powerful in that we see now, I mean, back then, right? Meditation was so I remember growing up and we would have Yoga and meditation in our basement, and all of our neighbors were like, Oh, that's the hippie family. They grow wheatgrass in their garage and have shamans come over. And it was always this like funny thing where we would be doing these things, and yet, and yet, no one really understood the impact. But now we're seeing, now we're seeing that, you know, as I kind of mentioned before, that just even chronic pain and the decrease of inflammation is profound, and the improvement of heart health and our. Hormone regulation, let's say you're having issues with your period or just different things that I've seen with women who start to meditate before pregnancy, during pregnancy, after pregnancy. There's a really amazing company, a friend of mine that launched Expectful which is regulating hormones and helping women that are pregnant through meditation and mindfulness. In terms of improving immunity and when we get sick, we can meditate and it actually helps us with our immune systems. And I think the biggest thing is inflammation. I mean, inflammation is basically the cause of most chronic sicknesses. So when we can decrease inflammation by simply quieting our minds, I don't see anyone arguing that that would be a good thing to start doing. And, you know, in terms of gene expression, our lifestyles really impact how our genes express themselves. And when we can look at meditation from that aspect as well and say, yes, my family had this, my mom had this, my dad might have had this, but that doesn't mean necessarily that that's going to be my story, because I have a different lifestyle. And my lifestyle basically fires the trigger for those genes. And if I can meditate and be mindful, there's no guarantee, but why not try, right? Why not try to manage our stress levels so that those genes don't get expressed in a way that causes us to suffer. So I think there's so many reasons to meditate that there's no reason not to. (laughs) Right?
0: (laughs) I like the way you worded that. Our genes have their own way of expressing themselves because people don't understand that. We like to use the fact that other people do stuff to justify our own behavior and turn a blind eye to the possible consequences. Like my grandma loves to say, well, my mom lived to be 98 on a diet of meat, cheese and eggs. And I normally respond, well, some people smoke their whole lives and don't get COPD which is a degenerative lung disease that my grandma happens to have, even though she quit smoking 20 years ago. So you can always use what other people are doing as an excuse not to own your actions. But if you do so, you're living up to the potential of someone else's genes. It's like living off of fast food because there's a hundred pound model eating a Big Mac in the commercial and then wondering why you're overweight and your health is poor. Yeah, I mean, it's so funny, my my husband's mom, she
1: loves her bread and her butter. And, you know, and my mom as well. She loves her coffee cake that they've been making for years. They're like, well, we've been eating this our whole lives. And I'm also like, but you also lived in a time where stress was a lot less, where we didn't have the technology, we didn't have the constant need for interaction. We didn't live in as much of an avoidant world where our emotions are just pushed to the side, and it's go, go, go the toxic overload in our environment is just massive now. I mean 80,000 chemicals have been approved that aren't necessarily regulated. Cosmetics aren't regulated at all. What we're putting on our skin, it's a bit of insanity in terms of what we're up against. And we can arm ourselves with at least the clean food, de-stress, movement to the best that we can. Of course, you never know what will happen, but But I'm like, why not? Why not focus on prevention? The problem with our culture is that we live in a culture where everyone wants a Band-Aid after the fact. So everyone wants the quick fix once they're sick. And a lot of times things can be healed. I've seen really, really powerful, magical stories of people healing themselves. But sometimes you can't. And so I think prevention is by far the best thing we can invest in from a money standpoint, like putting our money towards something, I think health is one of the best things we can do.
0: So I understand the concept of mindful eating, but I'm curious about the studies or research that have been done on meditation for weight loss specifically.
1: There's a lot of studies that are happening, like Vanderbilt University did a study that shows how meditation is beneficial to decreasing childhood obesity. The University of San Francisco found that obese women that were taught how to meditate and taught mindfulness techniques were, were much more likely to lose weight. Cornell's done huge studies on people who remained trim their entire lives and they accredited their ability to remain a healthy weight because of their intuition and their ability to listen to their body you know, and there's a ton more, but I think just looking at this overarching thing that this research is being done. And if it's being done, it's because it's important and because there is proof in it. And we're also understanding now from a scientific standpoint that different types of meditation rewired different parts of the brain. And I think that that's really important to recognize. And I'm not a neuroscientist, but I can tell you that different parts of the brain do different things. So a different part, decreases stress where another part um, helps with manifestation. And it just depends on the type of meditation. So I'm really a uh, believer in doing different styles. There's a lot of teachers out there that believe in just one style and doing that every day. And I think that that's wonderful. But I also think if you can do different types of meditation, one month doing something another month, trying something else, kind of bouncing back and forth, doing different types of styles, you're actually benefiting yourself in the long run as well.
0: Yeah, I agree. You have to find what works for you. I know even for myself, I have to switch things up just to stay engaged. So some of my meditations might be more just trying to quiet the mind and sit in stillness. And other times I might be setting an intention or visualizing or repeating a mantra. And then there's obviously tons of guided meditation options. But even just knowing that these are available makes it so much easier to keep coming back to my practice because honestly, sometimes just sitting in stillness sounds terrible. Plus, the process of going back and forth between the different types keeps it new and fresh and keeps it exciting for me too. I know I'm not just going to become complacent in my meditations.
1: Exactly. This goes back to intuition. You have to really look at what do I need today? There's times where sitting in silence won't work for me because my anxiety is so bad that I actually need something to attach to. So that's like looking at a mantra, right? Taking a mantra and having something to attach my thoughts to. So saying a mantra over and over again while I regulate my breath and decrease my nervous system. Out of fight or flight to rest or digest type of state. And so that's going to work much better than sitting and trying to do a mindfulness meditation where I'm paying attention to the sounds I'm hearing and my breath and how I'm feeling. And it's all relative to what you're going through in that moment. And that's why I like having some different apps and different exercises and my teacher who gives me mantra meditation, different things that I can use. And I call this like a toolbox, right? And I'm sure you have one now too of the different things that you just keep on site that you're like, this is my toolbox to help me feel good all the time, to help me when I need it. And so when I work with clients and they're like, I have anxiety in a dressing room, I'm like, okay, here are the five affirmations for when you're in a dressing room or when I go to dinner with my ex-boyfriend, when I, when I look in a mirror, when I'm in a bathing suit and we come up with different affirmations so that they can pull from this toolbox of what they need when they need it. And I think that that is really so profound in that, most people feel helpless. They're like, I have nothing. I don't know where to turn. But if you can build this toolbox
0: of resources, you always have something to rely on. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story with us and all of your wisdom. For listeners who are interested in learning more about you and the programs you offer, where can they find you online?
1: Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's been such a pleasure and an honor to get to know you. I would love to connect with anyone that is listening or has more questions about any of this content. My website is sarahannstuart.com and my Instagram is the same, sarahannstuart. So DM me, connect with me. I would love to hear from anyone with questions.
0: By the way, guys, if you Google meditation for weight loss, the very first result will be a Forbes article by Sarah Ann Stewart because she's basically a badass. For all the links mentioned in this episode, go to mindlove.com slash 037. Don't forget to hit subscribe. And thank you so much to all of the listeners who left a review on iTunes this week. They mean so, so much to me and they really help the growth of the show. If you love the little boost of positivity you get when you listen to Mind Love, you might be interested in signing up for the morning Mind Love, where you'll get short daily reminders of your own awesomeness to start each day in a positive mindset. As always, thanks for giving your mind a little love today, and I'll see you next week. Thanks for tuning into Your Higher Frequency with Mind Love. Head to mindlove.com for a free gift to keep your vibes up until next week.